I'm Samantha Bove, and this is She's Too Much. This show is for the woman who's been told that she dreams too much, talks too much, cares too much, thinks too much, feels too much, needs too much. And I say it's about damn time that we are even more. Because that thing you think makes you too much is the exact thing the world needs more of. So I lost my phone yesterday, and the last time I lost my phone, I was probably 19, didn't know how to drink, and left it at a bar somewhere. Now I'm 27 and left it at a vintage store, which they informed me this morning that it was in the pocket of a vintage Christian Dior gray trench coat that I did buy, but as a gift for someone else. And it's interesting because the whole day yesterday, my sister was like, are you even thinking about your phone? Like, what is your plan? Are you worried? What if they don't find it? Because at that time, they couldn't find it in the store. And so my mind went to, well, maybe somebody took it. And I was just going to wait it out and go there the following day. And I responded to her that I, I really wasn't thinking about it much because honestly, I wasn't panicking. I was kind of at peace. Peace because my phone sucks so much of my time. That's just the reality. Like, yes, I'm grateful for it in the sense that I've built a beautiful community. I have supported my business. I've taught other women how to create businesses from using their phones to share their message and to spread their voice wider. And it sucks up so much of my time. And even though I knew that I would either get a new one or they found it, which I suspected, I got to enjoy the moments of not being tethered to my phone and not having it take up so much of my time for a whole day. And when you remove the time sucks in your life, your relationship with time completely changes and you actually start to feel like you got nothing but time. And that's what we're talking about today is time. And this is a topic that I'm so passionate about and that I really think should be taught in school systems is how to create a healthy relationship with time. And in the last five years, this is something that I actually have prioritized really big in my life. In my former relationship, it became very apparent to me how I was really not managing my time well, but it's more, it's less about managing time and more about I had a poor relationship with time. I felt like I was always the victim of time. I felt like no matter what I did or how early I got up, I always was rushing. I always was late and I hated feeling chaotic and feeling like I'm such a hot mess rolling into things always late. And now after I've instilled these practices and actually I after I actually took the time to research time and how we can fill it and how we can relate to it in a healthier, more positive, more empowered way, I get everywhere on time. It is very rare now that I'm not exactly arriving somewhere on time. I'm definitely not one of those people that gets there early. Maybe that's the next decade of my life, but it shocks me. Even when I feel like 
I'm gonna be late. I'm usually on time. And when I am late, I don't bring late energy into a space. And that's something we'll talk about. So this podcast, you're going to love it. And if you really can slow down while you're listening to this and let these concepts that are truly also ancient scientific concepts around time wash over you and do your best to start to embody them, your entire life is going to change because life is made up of how we spend our time. So if you feel like you never have enough of it, you feel like you're always running late, you find like you're rushing to get out of the house or scrambling to finish something that you've procrastinated on way more often than you'd like, if you feel exhausted at the end of the day and you feel like you don't have enough energy to do things that actually matter to you and bring you joy, if you keep postponing things you really want to do, like the business, the creative projects, because you feel like you don't have enough time or you're waiting for the right time or you're waiting for that stroke of clarity that will tell you how to spend your time, this podcast is for you. Okay, so this is going to be part one of a two-part episode. So I want you to think of this week's as learning the foundations for changing your relationship with time. And then I'm going to share at the end of the episode three concepts that I really want you to prioritize practicing through this week and then come back next week for part two where we're going to dive into a more, let's call it a next level, a bit more nuanced concept of really evaluating in your life what is draining your energy and sucking time away from you and what is really giving you energy. And we're going to do a little life assessment, life edit in each area of our life so that we can really take back our time. Okay, so in this episode, we're talking about embodying the I am the creator of time mentality. That time exists from within me. This is not a concept that I am a victim to. And so if you can listen to this podcast with a pen and paper, amazing. If you're driving, that's totally fine. Just let the concepts wash over you. But I definitely recommend moving through this episode and next week's with a pen and paper. Okay. So embodying the creator of time mentality means it puts you in the position to create time from within yourself rather than feeling like you are constantly at the mercy of time and you're falling victim to the fact that it's moving too quickly. This mentality is also going to allow you to actually collapse time and bend it so that you can do more with less time. And this is just a mindset principle. We're not pretending that clocks aren't real and I'm not telling you to never look at time again. I know that some of you have jobs and commitments and children and things that you have to do. And so I'm not telling you to become a hippie and just live by the sun. Absolutely not. This will teach you though how to look at time differently and you will notice how if you embody these principles that we're gonna go over, you can actually slow down time and simultaneously expand it. And so by embodying this, I am the creator of time mentality, you are removing the idea that time is the enemy and that you are subject to its limitations altogether. And so with this mentality, I do not subscribe to words like, I'm so busy. I actually get offended when people say to me, hey, like, do you wanna hang out? Or hey, do you have a second for this? I know you're so busy. If I am giving off an air of busyness, I'm doing something wrong. I also do not subscribe to rushing. Okay, like I definitely still rush a little bit, but I catch myself when I'm rushing and I make a conscious decision to stop. More on rushing later. 
I also do not say I do not have enough time for that. And this is really important to remove this language from your vocabulary because that type of speech separates us from our power and our influence that we have to bend time and to create an abundance of time from within ourselves. So if I'm saying, oh, I can't, I'm so busy, I don't have enough time, I'm saying that as if that happened to me. Like, oh, rats, like a tree just fell. I can't have you over anymore. Like, no, no, no. I choose to put things on my calendar. I choose to wake up later and press snooze six times and then am running late and choosing to rush out of the house or to accept, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make the breakfast that I wanted. Okay, I chose to overslept. If we continue to operate as most people do in this very busy culture that we live in, we are always acting as if we have absolutely no influence on the way that we spend our time. And when we complain about it, we're affirming that time exists outside of me instead of something that is generated from within me. And that really is the basis of this teaching, that time comes from within us. It is generated by us, not some outside ticking clock. And when we take ownership of the way that we are spending our time and get really, really honest about how we're spending it, that really is the first step is getting honest that I am making these decisions that are not allowing me to spend my time in other ways, we could consciously change our relationship with how we're spending our time from an empowered place and then decide, okay, am I going to do things that are going to suck my time and make it go really fast? Or am I going to spend my time doing things that slow it down and make me feel really present and expand my time? So this may sound like a bit of a far out concept that we really do have the ability to collapse time and expand it, but you already are doing this and you may just not be consciously aware of it. So I'm going to make a couple of references here. You can check them out in the show notes. I'm going to be paraphrasing for the next you know, couple of sentences from Permaculture News and from the American Museum of Natural History. So let's do an assessment of how you are already speeding up and slowing down time and how much you are already influencing how quickly time goes with your mindset and with your actions. So Einstein, I'm obsessed with him. Is anybody else as into Einstein as I am? So he articulates this concept around time so well. I just thought of my friend Bryn. She was on the podcast last week and she would absolutely be calling him time daddy. So let's call Einstein time daddy. He articulates it amazing. He says he is said to have described relativity with something along these lines. An hour with your beloved feels like a minute and a minute on a hot stove feels like an hour. So in other words, how you experience time is a function of how you experience time. Time itself actually holds no power. It is how you relate to that time that dictates how the time is spent and how fast or how slow your experience of it is. And this is what people mean when they say that time is relative. So Einstein also describes that time is not absolute. Yet that is how most people in our society are operating with time, as if if we have these finite timelines that we have to do, do, do within, or we're going to experience these terrible consequences or judge ourselves if we don't do all the things within this certain timeline. And so in other words, Einstein explains, despite our common perception 
that a second is always a second everywhere in the universe, the rate at which time flows depends on where you are and how fast you are traveling in that second. So my takeaway from this is that when we speed up, time speeds up. When we slow down, time slows down and it expands for us. So some days fly by, we know this, and some days crawl. When I think about time crawling, I think about high school math class. I would sit there and for that 47 minutes, I would watch the seconds click down. It literally felt like death. I could smell those whiteboard markers. It would always give me a headache. And my teacher, I think her name was Miss Malloy. She did her best, but she talked so slow and so monotoned. My eyes felt like they were going to bleed. I remember I would sit there and I would hold my eyes open. And I remember thinking this is so rude, but if I don't hold my eyes open, they're going to close and I'm going to get in trouble. And so think about a time when time literally drags on. I want you to notice the energy around that moment. Who's there? Get really honest with yourself. Is there a person in your life that when you talk to them, you're like, oh my God, I've been on the phone with them for five minutes and it feels like 16 hours. I feel lethargic. You could probably feel brain foggy, heavy. And just notice, where are you? What's the environment life? What type of work are you doing? And now I want you to think about a time when time speeds up. It goes like really, really, really fast. So probably when you're rushing, right? Like, or when you're on a deadline, what are you doing? Who are you with? What do your surroundings look like? Really take a note. And also it could be when say you're on a vacation and you feel like, wow, it's already been a week. This feels like it's moving so quickly. Now I want you to think about a time when time feels like it's expanding in the moment. And maybe even for a minute, it feels like it's stopped. And this is what I call divine time. So if you ever had that moment, it's a really, really, really beautiful experience. And for most people, this happens when they're falling in love, when they're working on something they're really passionate about, maybe when they're on mushrooms or they're high. Why does this happen though? Because you're giving it your full presence. That's why. When you are looking at someone that you are falling in love with, the entire world exists in those moments right before you kiss each other. Like I remember the first time I kissed this man I was newly dating. It was on our first date. And I remember as he approached my lips, he was like six feet tall, I'm like five two. It was like, you know, the dream. And the moments, the seconds, that he was approaching my lips for that first kiss, it felt like an hour. Like, I don't know if time ever was as slow as it was in those moments. Actually, I can think of other times, but this was a very slow moment. It was divine timing. And so your presence and the intention and the meaning that you make of a moment is one of the biggest influences on what makes time speed up or slow down. And you don't need to be experiencing a first kiss or falling in love. That's unrealistic to be experiencing a first kiss. That means that much to you every single day. You can bring that level of presence and bring that level of intention to parts of your day every single day. 
And so one thing I want to touch on here is this concept of time flies when you're having fun. So I think this to me is one of the worst examples of how America views having fun. So I remember talking to a client who I was helping her launch her business and she was talking about she spent about 25 years in corporate America in production companies in Hollywood. And she said that for years, like over a decade, she didn't even take a vacation because when she went, time would move so fast and she knew when she got back to work, it would be all that much more hard because she got a glimpse of what how fun life could be. And the vacation was just never long enough and it always went too fast. And so this is a product of busy culture and of lack mentality. Like this reason right here, people's poor relationship with time and the anxiety and the scarcity around time is the reason why people don't take PTO, is the reason why people go on vacation and still feel anxious or are still checking their emails. Time only flies when you start to worry that it's going to end, that the fund is going to end, that I don't have enough of this time. There will never be enough time to keep having fun or to do all the things that I want to do. And when we embody this, we are the creators of time mentality and really own that my presence, my intentionality, my pace, my speed determines how quickly time moves. Then this can completely change. And when we can notice that our mood, our energy, and also who we are with, our surroundings, our environment will dictate and manipulate the speed of time. We can also start to make those conscious efforts to change our environment, to limit or to add in interactions with people that give us that sense and that feeling of, wow, this time really means something. We've expanded time and we've gone into this little bubble where things feel infinite. And this is also what people call like a flow state where you're just in the time, you're not worried about it. And this is also how I feel like when I'm writing or even when I'm recording this podcast, we're 18 minutes in, I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel like I've been talking for two minutes. I'm just in the moment with you. I'm in time, I'm in my body. I've created a ritual and intention around this podcast that makes it feel so juicy, so slow and so nourishing. So I brought up busy culture. So let's really unpack the culture of being busy. I think that busyness is truly the most pervasive disease that exists within our country and really within the planet. And so we need, if we want to practice the time creator mindset and have more of that divine time in our lives, we have to look at how urgency and scarcity of time influences everything that we do. So let's look at the clock. The 24-hour clock was invented by humans. It dates back to ancient Egypt and the eight-hour workday, which is what most people in our society operate on, obviously, whether you work for yourself at, or not, most people are working around that time per day. The eight-hour workday, it wasn't invented until the 1800s, and it went mainstream by Henry Ford in the 1920s. So I'm going to be pulling this info right now from Advisorpedia. You can take a look at the show notes. So why was the eight-hour workday even invented? This is a question I wanted to know because it's always blown my mind that people work as long as they do. And this is paraphrased and also taken from Advisorpedia. Check out the show notes if you want to read the full article. 
So by and large, the eight-hour workday was created to protect workers who held jobs brought about by the Industrial Revolution. And these were very laborious jobs that people came together and unionized and said, okay, like we can only really work eight hours a day. But due to a combination of technology, of globalization, of outsourcing, many of these manufacturing and industrial jobs that the laws were created for either don't exist anymore or at least don't really exist in the U.S. So work has changed so much over this last century. And even in this last decade, and honestly, I would say even in the last few years, and for the most part, today's workforce is at desk or on their couches and they're on computers, which is not exactly an illustration of manual labor-intensive jobs. And in the world of manufacturing and assembly lines, which is what most people were doing when the Industrial Revolution came about and I think 1920s Ford, like most people were on assembly lines. Ford, for example, would have had a pretty good guess at how many cars would be produced on a given day just by looking at the schedule. And that's how companies operated. And that's how people kept their job was to make X amount of materials in X amount of time or there would be consequences. But the vast majority of U.S. professionals do not work like this anymore. Our jobs are not the same at all. And also neither are our skills that we are exchanging our time for money. So if you give two different people the same assignment one might finish it in an hour while the other takes three hours and could end up doing like a way worse job. Yet for some reason, all these organizations are still clinging to this super outdated concept of an eight-hour workday when people operate totally different. So they seem to really at its core not care that much about how much work we're doing so long as that we're putting in what's considered the requisite amount of hours to hold what warrants a full-time salary. So why does all of this matter? Because for many of us, myself included, who I don't even have a boss, <laughs> yet I still hold myself to this ridiculous standard of pumping out X amount of content or X amount of podcasts or X amount of this or that or X amount of workouts per week under these tight deadlines that I call goals and timelines that have honestly been influenced by other people. Like, why do we feel like we need to reach these milestones and these timelines of money, of family, of dating, of children, of buying house, of all of these things, of even now it's switched to like, I haven't been to Europe yet, or I haven't been to Italy, or well, I don't, I don't own this designer thing, or I don't have this trendy outfit, or I haven't seen that person in concert. Like, there's all of these things that we think that we need to have done or have had experience at a certain time in our life. And honestly, I really believe it is a product of this eight-hour on-the-clock type of conditioning. And this also has followed us and has this way of life and this scarcity of time mentality also followed us through the entire school system, which was the first 18 years of our life. So like, think about it. You have 35 minutes on your exam. Well, honestly, most of the time it would take me like 15 to 20 minutes just to read the directions enough to really understand the dynamics between the characters. Then I would usually get lost and like, well, why is Sarah even friends with this girl who did this? And now, like, I have to tell a story about this, but I'm still not really understanding this comprehension of this. 
And then the school slaps me with a challenge, you know, learning title when really I'm just keenly aware that you are rushing my creative process. But we don't give kids the luxury of time to work through time and to experience the things in front of them in a way that is most supportive for them. We give them our deadlines, which we say is the teachers, but it's really government. So the government is also the people who are regulating, you know, all of the work, you know, rules, whatnot. School is really just preparing us to be followers and be good little listeners in the corporate system. Um, that's a podcast for another day that I will love to talk about. And so what happens to kids? Well, they have test anxiety. They get severe consequences like failing classes and publicly shamed and in trouble with their parents and slapped with all of these learning challenge titles when really they're just put into these deadlines and given all of these constraints that truly crush creativity and are programming them to have a poor relationship with time. It's programming them. It's programmed us to think, wow, there really is never enough time because if there was enough time, maybe I would have done better on this. Maybe I wouldn't have felt so much pressure. Maybe I would have made different decisions. And we don't only operate like this in school or in work. As adults, we do this just by rushing. We rushed to get our houses clean on a Sunday so we could relax in it on Sunday night rather than just enjoying the process of cleaning the house and relaxing while we're doing it and putting on some music and lighting some incense and creating a really nice environment. We frantically move through the motions to enjoy the sliver of the break that we have because we deemed this as the time we get to relax. So why do we do this? Well, for all the reasons I just mentioned. And also, we live in a capitalistic society that is obsessed with productivity, with quotas, and by keeping those quotas in check with deadlines. And I was really inspired. This is fascinating to look up the roots of the word deadline the other day because I went to set a deadline for myself. And I'm very sensitive to words and the energetics around words. That's why I really don't like when people are like, instead of saying like, oh my gosh, like you're going to do amazing. You're so ready for this. They say like, go kill it. Or like, you're going to crush it. It's just like, it's just not my thing. So I went to look up like, okay, like what are the roots of deadline? Deadline. This doesn't sound good. The word deadline was originally a term used during the American Civil War in the 1860s. A deadline referred to a line that was drawn around a military prison camp, and it was a boundary, essentially, that the prisoners were not allowed to cross under any circumstances, and if they did, they would most likely be shot. And over time, the term deadline evolved and was adopted into general usage to mean a strict or non-negotiable time limit or cutoff point. And today, it's commonly used to describe a date or a time which a task or a project must be completed. And the idea behind it is that if you don't meet the deadline, there is going to be consequences, just like crossing the boundary in the original military context could result in death. You can check out the show notes for more info on this. So deadlines still hold and evoke this fearful energy within all of us. And this is really what society is operating off of 
And the root of this energy to get it done by a certain time is fear. So think about it. Like, how do you feel leading up to a deadline? You feel rushed. You feel frantic. You feel anxious. If I said, right now, you have 10 minutes to shower, get ready, eat a full meal, and leave your house in good condition, or else I'm going to take $3,000 out of your bank account, you would feel frantic. And we bring this onto ourselves willingly. Instead of seeing our lives as something we move through with ease, we say, oh, we have 30 minutes for this and we have an hour for this. And if I don't reach, this is something I hear as a business coach all the time, like, well, if I don't reach $10,000 months, like, I just feel like I shouldn't be doing this and there's something wrong with me and I just, I'm missing the marketing key or I'm I'm just not understanding social media. So like, ugh, then then what? Then I'm going to shame myself. I'm going to blame myself. I'm going to think that there's something wrong with me. And when we don't meet those deadlines, that's exactly what happens. We set these unreasonable expectations that we take on by society or we take on from social media, either married by kids with a certain age or making six figures by X date or working for myself or going viral on social media. And then we end up in a shame and a blame spiral if we don't meet that deadline. We're putting these consequences on ourselves. And listen, I am a leadership coach. So I know the power of accountability. Like there are statistics, like you are up to 80% more likely to get something done if you set a date and a time to it. And you have somebody that you're saying, hey, I'm going to tell you by next Monday that I did this. Like I have accountability protocols in my life. I teach people how to set timelines that are really supportive for them. And so I'm not saying remove a goal date altogether, but I don't want you to look at it as this deadline where you're going to experience this deep consequence. I want you to instead start to look at your relationship with time so that when you do set a goal date for yourself, you're not anticipating that date with an energy of fear and anxiousness. And when you can change your mindset around that, you're not only going to get things done so much quicker, but you're going to enjoy yourself more. And with that, the quality of your work is going to be so much better. And so I'll give you an example of this. I have been tweaking and revamping my signature online business school called Zen Boss Academy for about two years. It is honestly the best sales and marketing program there is for anyone who wants to start an online business, build a personal brand if you're in wellness, um, personal development, or creativity. If you want to help somebody, like Zen Boss Academy is the best marketing program. I've done all of the best marketing programs, spent tens of thousands of dollars, and I've compiled everything that I've learned and put it into this program. And so I have been working on getting it to a place where it's like really, really professional and the best curriculum I could possibly create to make somebody absorb these marketing and sales principles really easily for about two years. And I have set, and while the while this was happening, the program was open and then I would close it and work on it and open it again. And while this was going on, I've been blaming myself because I've been blowing past the deadlines of it being perfectly done. And I would like shame myself for not finishing it rather than just surrendering to the fact that I was that what I was creating could not be bound by the limitations of time. And by me setting these arbitrary deadlines for myself and then blowing past those deadlines, all it did was make me feel more anxious, more angry towards time, like, oh, there's not enough. It kept me from owning my experience and empowering myself with the knowledge that 
my continuing to miss deadlines was showing me something. It was showing me that I needed to create more space in my schedule. I needed to shift my priorities in order to give something so important my full attention. And so the second that I removed the deadlines that were causing me anxiety, shocker, I got more done in those two weeks that I wasn't operating under a deadline than I had gotten done in like a year. Like truly, like the quality of work blew me away. And I've been implementing this with my clients, same thing. Instead of putting a deadline for every single little task, we've been removing timelines. And for most people, they're actually speeding up the process of the type of work that they're creating and the quality of the work that they're creating is absolutely better than what they were creating when they were operating with these strict timelines. So when we are using fear of consequence of something, of not meeting a deadline to motivate us, it's really crippling us because fear and anxiety does not produce great results. It produces results, but it causes us to make decisions that are made around avoiding what we don't want rather than taking conscious steps towards what we really desire. And when we move through time and through our tasks from that place of play, of joy, of abundance, of creation, rather than by fear, well, the quality of our work is always going to be better because we're making decisions from a place of going towards our desired results, not running away from what we don't want to happen if it doesn't come out the way that we think it should. So fear keeps us making decisions that are also most likely to keep us really safe. And safety in modern life means doing things that basically keep us acting like everyone else, talking like everyone else, dressing like everyone else, working like everyone else, stressing like everyone else, eating like everyone else, so that we can fit in. And when it comes to creating an extraordinary life, I feel kind of bad saying this, but it's just the truth. Like you kind of have to go in the opposite direction of most people, even the people that you love. Because if you look around the way that most people are living in this society and probably in your community, unless you've done the work to change the people, the environments that you hang out in and also who you take advice from, most people are living paycheck to paycheck. 61% of Americans, I'm linking stats in the show notes. That's a lot of people who are living in scarcity. That's a lot of people who are operating from a place of fear. Also, most people are sick. They don't feel good in their bodies. 133 million Americans, this is nearly half of the population, suffer from at least one chronic illness. So I share these things because it takes so much effort and intentionality to not live in fear of not being able to pay your bills, to feel really good in your body when everything around you is honestly poisoning you from the products you use to the foods that you're eating. There's little to no regulation on what is actually going into our bodies. And also the deprogramming that it takes to go from you are a follower. You do listen to rules. Raise your hand. Read the directions. I am the person that you listen to mentality of school to go into somebody who says, there is enough information. There is enough wisdom on this computer, on this phone that I have 
for me to create an abundance of income and change the entire legacy and destiny for me, my family, my friends, and my community. And all of that requires you to change your relationship with time because you will never prioritize those things that will make you happy, healthy, and wealthy if you do not learn how to view time in a way that is supporting you, that is coming from within you rather than something that is happening to you. Okay, so we made it to the end. (sighs) Here are some practices. Take a deep breath. We just covered a lot. Just feeling into time and really starting right now to build that conscious relationship with it. Being in this moment and listening to these three practices that can really help you start to create that healthy relationship with time. So first is just identifying your relationship with it. So ask yourself, journal about this now or later. What is my relationship like with time? What is my conditioning been around time? How did my parents talk about time? How do my friends and family now talk about time? Is there never enough of it? Is there an abundance of it? How do they use their time? This is also prepping you for next week. How do the people around me use their time? Are they spending it in ways that's really nourishing them? Who in my life makes time for themselves and for their hobbies and for their loved ones? How do I use my time? Am I ready to make a conscious decision to create a healthier relationship with time and own how I choose to spend it? You can also ask yourself, is there some possibility that this not enough time mentality that I've been operating in is actually benefiting you on some level? Maybe it's giving you the perfect little reason or a perfect little excuse to not pursue something you really want to because you're scared you're not going to fit in anymore. So that's number one. The second practice out of these three is when you are feeling time anxiety, feeling that there's just not enough, I want you to repeat to yourself, I create time. I create time. And if you're rushing, I want you to move slower. It may seem counterintuitive, but the more slow you move if you are running behind, the quicker you're actually going to get to your destination. I promise you this works because when we move fast, our brain goes into fight or flight because it's signaling danger. It's signaling consequence. It's giving deadline, okay? And even if the danger is having your friend wait 15 minutes for you at lunch while you're running behind, that's still signaling danger, And it's never worth it to rush because when you rush, you lose all intentionality. Remember, we need intentionality in order to create a really healthy, connected, slow, juicy relationship with time. So if you're rushing, there goes intentionality. That's the first thing to go. And when you don't have intention to what you're doing and how you're moving through space, what happens? You break a glass. You spill coffee on yourself. You forget the birthday gift that you needed. And then, oh, what happens from there? Well, you blame other people. You were late. And so I forgot the birthday present. And there's fights and there's drama that always comes out of rushing. It's never worth it. And so this, if you practice this, this is where things could get really, really, really fun. Because you can actually start to time hop if you get really good at this, when you get really good at this. 
So I read about this the first time in The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and he explained that when he was running late, he would visualize getting there right on time. And so I started doing this, and it works not every time, but most of the time. So by moving through space, as if you're going to get to the thing exactly on time, you influence the space around you in a positive way. So you're going to drive with more ease. You're not going to miss the exit like you would if you were rushing. You navigate things seamlessly and effortlessly. You arrive and you create flow and ease in how you're moving. So I had the most perfect example of this yesterday. So I was meeting a friend for a birthday lunch. And since I had lost my phone and it was not yet discovered in the um, in the Dior trench coat pocket, I had to get from Jersey City. I'm babysitting my sister's dog. And I had to get from Jersey City into the city, which requires like a path, which is essentially like a train to a few subways to get to Soho. And so when I left the house, I like wrote down all the directions on a post-it. It felt great. I was like, I got this. I feel like my mom in the 80s. So when I get to the subway, it's been flooding in New York. So I realized my train was closed and then it was running like 15 minutes behind. And so needless to say, it took me a bit longer than was expected. And I could feel myself starting to get anxious because I couldn't contact her to tell her I was going to be running 15, 20 minutes behind. We had a reservation. And I was like, oh, you know, it's her birthday. I feel rude. But then I remembered I create time and I do not rush. And while I couldn't turn back the clock, like there was real delays. I was going to be at least 15 minutes late. I could move through space and time with peace. I could choose not to rush because rushing never helps anyone. It will make me sweaty. It'll likely make me miss the stop on the subway because I'm going to be so in my head. And most importantly, it will cause me to walk into her lunch with frantic, chaotic, hot mess energy that is so not the vibe that someone wants on their birthday. So anyways, I stroll up to lunch. I'm relaxed. I'm calm. I'm so happy I got there. No one was even there yet. I'm like, am I at the wrong place? They were running 15, 20 minutes late and like came in and were rushing to see me, sweaty and apologizing for being late. And I would have absolutely rushed for nothing. Like how many times has that happened? We're rushing to get somewhere and likely no one even cares or they're rushing and rushing in also apologizing. You create time. I create time. Do not rush. And then the third practice is remove the I'm busy. I don't have time language from your vocabulary. When you say you don't have time, you're lying. We do have time because we create it. We just use it in different ways. When we say we don't have time for things, we do not choose to prioritize those things. We do have time. It would just require us to reprioritize our life. So like cooking at home, like going to see a friend, making time for creative projects or our businesses, we use this lie to avoid feeling bad about how we are using our time or how we're not using our time. But we're only lying to ourselves and lying never produces positive emotions Lying is so corrosive to our integrity. And being honest with yourself and with others about how you're choosing to spend your time, it may sting in the moment. And honestly, it may not feel good for someone else to receive. But I want you to think of every lie as slowly chiseling away at your integrity while also reaffirming that your relationship to time is really bad, that you're a bad stewardess of your time 
and you're bad at managing it, which is just untrue. You're just choosing to spend time in a different way. You thought that you don't have it. So instead of saying, I'm too busy or I don't have time for that, say, I'm choosing this over that right now. This is a priority to me right now. Or I don't want to do that right now. How does that feel? Maybe you don't say that when your friend invites you on a trip, but you could say that to yourself. Like, I just don't want to do that. It's not that I don't have the money. It's not that I don't have the time. I just actually don't want to go out or I don't actually want to go on that trip. It actually feels really good to be that honest. Same thing goes for if you aren't going to the gym or you don't want to go to your workout. Ah, I'm too busy. I don't have time. No, you just don't want to. You're just too tired. And next week, we're going to evaluate how when we actually get really honest with ourselves and say, I don't want to or it's not that I don't have time. It's that I'm really tired. We can start to get to the root cause of what is draining our energy and making us feel like we don't have enough time which really we don't have enough energy to do the things that we want to do in our lives. Because listen, time constraints are real, especially if you have a hard job, a nine to five, you have kids, you have a challenging family dynamic, caregiver, you grew up in poverty or you're a part of a marginalized community that does truly have less time because you were given less resources and access for generations. That's all real. So in the next episode, I'm going to talk about how we can work with the time that we do have and the constraints, which for some are very real, and we can make it the most present, the most joy-filled, the most nourishing and productive time that we possibly can. So tune in for next week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you are going to take these three practices and really start to look at your relationship with time and change it for the better because your entire life will benefit from this. As always, if you like this podcast, if you're vibing with She's Too Much, please take a screenshot of this, share it on social media, and tag me at samantha.bove and at she's too much podcast. Connect with me on Instagram. It's not weird. Like, let's be friends. Tell me what you like about the podcast. I hope to see you at one of our in-person events soon. If you want to get notified about what's going on and what masterclasses and programs I have coming up, go to samanthabove.com. You can drop your email in the little newsletter box on the bottom. Just get connected at samanthabove, samanthabove.com. And please leave us a five-star review. It really, really, really means so much. If you could tap the uh, five stars on Spotify, and then you can also hop over and take the one minute it takes to go to Apple Podcasts and leave your review so that this podcast could be spread to more people like you who feel like either they are not enough or they are way too much because you, my friend, are the perfect amount of all you got going on. And I really, really, really love you guys. And I'm so grateful for your time. See you next week for part two.